Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of April 4, 2021. Happy Easter, everybody. The Soundprints broadcast schedule on ACB Radio has expanded. You can now hear us 10 times each week on ACB Radio Main Street, Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday at 8 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern, Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern, Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern, and Friday at 1 a.m., 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern. You'll also find us as a podcast on your Victor Reader Stream in the iTunes Store. Just search under Podcasts and on our website at www.kentucky-acb.org. All of the following events are virtual. Participate from your computer, cell phone, or landline on Zoom by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889-6972. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind invites everyone to our Friday evening roundabouts. They're from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern each week, and it's a great way to end the week with friends and a good time. We'll have bingo on April 9, the GLCB quarterly meeting and elections on April 16, page turners where everyone is welcome to come and share good books on April 23, our annual derby party on April 30, and the GLCB auction on May 7. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will not hold its bi-monthly business meeting on Tuesday, April 6, as previously announced. KCCLV Low Vision Support Group meetings for this month will be on Wednesday, April 7, and Wednesday, April 21, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its next board meeting on Saturday, April 10 at 11 a.m. SAVVY, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired in Owensboro, will hold its April meeting on Tuesday afternoon, April 13. For more information about SAVVY and to get in on the action, call Cheryl Lott, SAVVY President, at 270-686-8689. The Tri-State Library Users Book Club and Business Meeting will take place on Saturday, April 17 at 11 a.m. Eastern. The book we're reading this month is All My Patients Kick and Bite by Jeff Wells. Grab a copy from Bard or Bookshare and enjoy some humorous glimpses into the life of a veterinarian. The KCB Board of Directors Meeting is on Monday, April 19 at 8 p.m., and the next Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana meeting is April 26. KCB's next Crossroad Conference will be on Saturday, April 10, beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern. Entitled, There Ain't No Mouse in My Clubhouse, this is a great chance for ACB chapters and affiliates everywhere to learn ways to use the new Clubhouse app 
that's all the rage right now to make new contacts on many different levels. This is an amazing public relations opportunity for all of us. And Jeff Bishop from Seattle, Washington, member of the ACB Board of Directors and the ACB Radio Management Team, will help introduce the app, show us how it works, and suggest exciting ways we can use it to build our organizations. Registration for Crossroads is free. So get in the driver's seat, put the key in the ignition, and call KCB at 502 895-4598 by Wednesday, April 7, to reserve your seat at the crossroads and make sure you are on our list in time to receive your program and Zoom link and dial-in information on Friday, April 9. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision is a chapter of both the Kentucky Council of the Blind and the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. CCLVI holds several events by Zoom each week. Here is their schedule, including Zoom numbers and passcodes. You can use the dial-in number 669-900-6833 for all of these calls. Sunday, Tech Talk at 8 p.m. The meeting ID is 879-5949-4614 and the passcode is 123321. Monday Chat at 8 p.m. Eastern. The meeting ID is 950-2360-8739 and the passcode is 655392. Thursday chat at 8 p.m. Eastern. ID 950-2360-8739. Passcode 655392. And the CCLVI Friday morning coffee break at 11 a.m. Eastern. The meeting ID is 838-9349-7160 and the passcode is 432483. The following announcement is submitted by Joey Couch, Chair of the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Nominating Committee for 2021. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold elections at its quarterly meeting on Friday, April 16. Since GLCB did not have elections last year due to the pandemic, we will be filling the entire board. The officers include President, First Vice President, Second Vice President, Secretary, and Treasurer, along with four director seats. Officers will serve two-year terms, and directors will serve one-year partial terms. Bill Wright, President, Deb Lewis, first vice president, and all four directors have completed two consecutive terms and so are not eligible to run again for the same office. The nominating committee proposes the following slate of candidates for the above-mentioned positions. Officers, two-year terms. President, Natalie Couch, Louisville. First vice president, Patty Cox, Louisville. Second vice president, Kendall Perry, Louisville. Secretary, Terry Turlow, Louisville. Treasurer, Deanna Scoggins, Louisville. Directors, one-year terms, Debbie Green, Elizabethtown. Trina Muncy, Jeffersonville, Indiana. Debbie Persons, Louisville. And Restoria Ross Jackson, Louisville. Nominations can also be made from the floor. If the person nominated from the floor is not present, they must 
have previously submitted a letter to the committee in advance stating that they are interested in running for a particular office. The GLCB nominating committee was composed of Joey Couch, Chair, Debbie Dethridge, and Adam Rushevel. Next, an announcement from the Kentucky Council of the Blind. KCB is delighted to offer our assistive technology matching grant to any visually impaired resident of Kentucky and to all visually impaired KCB members in good standing, regardless of place of residence. The grant covers both hardware and software-based assistive technology, upgrades and maintenance agreements, subscription services, computers, and other standalone electronic devices. Depending on availability of funds, KCB will match up to 75% of the cost of the technology requested by visually impaired KCB members and up to 25% of the cost of the technology requested for KCB residents who are not KCB members and up to 25% of the cost of the technology requested for Kentucky residents who are not KCB members. Visually impaired Kentuckians and visually impaired members of the Kentucky Council of the Blind in good standing as of March 15, 2021, regardless of residence, are eligible to apply. Technology grant recipients will be recognized at the KCB Virtual Conference and Convention. The KCB Scholarship and Technology Committee anticipates processing award applications quarterly. The total amount of funds available for technology grants may vary from year to year. If funds are exhausted at the time of an application being received, the applicant will be notified of this fact within 30 days of the date the application is received and will be offered the option of keeping the application active for consideration when funds again become available. All applicants will be contacted with results of their grant application as soon as possible, but no later than 120 days after receipt of their application and all required supporting documents. Technology grant recipients are required to participate in the Kentucky Council of the Blind Virtual State Convention to be held November 11 through 14, 2021, unless reasonable circumstances prevent them from doing so. Applicants can obtain complete information and download the application form by visiting the KCB website at wwwkentucky acb.org. They can also call the KCB office at 502-895-4598 or email techgrant, T-E-C-H-G-R-A-N-T, at kentucky-acb.org for more information. From the American Council of the Blind, in this week's Dots and Dashes, comes the following. The American Council of the Blind is pleased to announce the newest member of our team, Colby Garrison. On April 5, Colby will join us as Membership Services Administrative Assistant. She will support Cindy Hollis, Membership Services Coordinator, with implementing strategies to attract new and retain existing members through the Community Events Program. Most recently, Colby worked as a Website Accessibility Evaluator for No Ability Incorporated and UserZoom. There, 
She evaluated and provided recommendations for websites regarding screen reader compatibility. Prior, Colby worked at Communications Services for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing as a real-time translation provider, providing transcription of college-level classes. Colby is an expert in Microsoft Word and Excel from her previous endeavors, skills she is excited to put to use in her new role supporting Cindy and our community. Colby also earned a Bachelor of Arts in Communication Studies from the University of North Carolina, where she resides. We are very excited to have Colby on the team and look forward to her positive contributions. We're bringing you some fun information on this week's Sound Prints. On page 2, you'll find a wealth of Easter facts and trivia. Everyone loves a good snack, so on page 3, you'll find an article from EverydayHealth.com about the four best nuts to include in your diet, even if you're a diabetic. And then on page 4 are two articles from the Kentucky Talking Book Library newsletter, along with short excerpts from a really cool book recorded in their studios. Check it out for some unexpected smiles and find out how you can request the book for some great reading. We hope you enjoy this week's edition of Sound Prints and be sure and come back next week for more information and news. Page 2 Calling All Eggheads Happy Holidays by Jessica Sager from Parade.com Once spring has sprung, Easter isn't far behind. The festive day, fetid with bunnies and colored eggs, has a variety of historical origins and is considered one of the holiest and most important Christian holidays. The traditions, religion, and customs associated with Easter are varied and impressive, and the history behind many of Easter's symbols is rich. You may think you know all there is to know about Easter, but we bet at least some of these Easter trivia facts will stump you. Easter always falls between March 22 and April 25. More candy is sold for Halloween than for Easter, Christmas, or Valentine's Day. About 90 million chocolate Easter bunnies are produced each year. The most popular Easter parade held each year is in New York. The first Easter eggs were dyed red. In the 13th century, the church prohibited eating eggs during Holy Week. The world record largest chocolate Easter egg was made in Tosca, Italy. The world's largest chocolate Easter egg weighed 15,873 pounds and 4.48 ounces. The circumference of the world's largest chocolate Easter egg was 64 feet 3.65 inches. A Good Friday tradition in England are hot cross buns. Americans consume 16 million jelly beans each Easter. While the Easter Bunny delivers eggs in the United States, a fox delivers the goods in Westphalia, Germany. 
In Switzerland, the cuckoo delivers eggs to kids. In England, the name of the fruitcake with marzipan balls traditionally served at tea on Easter is Simnel, S-I-M-N-E-L. Eleven marzipan balls are traditionally on a Simnel cake. The marzipan balls on a Simnel cake represent the apostles minus Judas. Each year, households spend, on average, for Easter, $131. The tradition of the Easter bunny originated in Germany. The original Easter bunny was a hare. The traditional Easter mascot in Australia is Bilby, B-I-L-B-Y. Easter Island is part of Chile. The first White House Easter egg roll was in 1878. The first Easter egg roll was hosted by Rutherford B. Hayes. The largest Easter egg museum in the world is in Poland. There are more than 1,500 eggs in the Easter Egg Museum. The most popular Easter candy in America is the Marshmallow Peeps. Cadbury was founded in 1824. In countries including Greece, Mexico, and Spain, Effigies of Judas are burned in Easter bonfires. Cadbury cream eggs were introduced in 1963. Three days passed between Jesus' death and the resurrection. The Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday. The 40-day period before Easter is called Lent. When Easter eggs were first dyed, it was to represent the blood of Christ. Twelve states consider Good Friday a holiday. Easter symbols like rabbits come from the Anglo-Saxon festival Easter, E-A-S-T-R-E. Buying new clothes for Easter is said to bring good luck for the rest of the year. Irving Berlin wrote Easter Parade. The Easter Bonnet was popularized by the song Easter Parade. Dying Easter eggs is a tradition that began in the Ukraine. Richard Nixon was the president to first introduce an Easter bunny to the White House Easter egg roll. Before 1953, it took 27 hours to produce a single marshmallow peep. Americans eat 600 million marshmallow peeps during the Easter season.
Most Americans bite off the ears of the chocolate Easter bunny first. Easter's date is determined by the moon. Each year, Easter is recognized on the first Sunday of the full moon on or after the spring equinox. Children in Finland dress as witches on Easter. Cadbury cream eggs were first called Fry's cream eggs, F-R-Y apostrophe S. The filling in Cadbury eggs is made from fondant. The pagan goddess Ostara, O-S-T-A-R-A, is associated with Easter. The lily is considered the Easter symbol. Pretzels are a snack that is associated with Easter. Pretzels are considered an Easter food because their design is said to look like praying arms and hands. The Easter Bunny first appeared in Pennsylvania. Besides bunnies, the lamb is considered an Easter symbol. The name of the Peanuts special is the Easter Beagle, Charlie Brown. Holy Thursday, during Holy Week, of course, is to honor the Last Supper. Two games are traditionally played with Easter eggs. One is the Easter egg hunt, and the other is an Easter egg roll. In the Bible, the first person to enter Jesus' tomb was Peter. The traditional Ukrainian way of painting Easter eggs is called Pysanka, P-Y-S-A-N-K-A. Red jelly beans are the most popular. Easter Sunday is also called Resurrection Day. In the Bible, the Jewish holiday of Passover was being celebrated the week of Jesus' death and resurrection. In the Bible, Judas traded Jesus in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. In the Bible, Barabbas, B-A-R-R-A-B-A-S, was a prisoner who was released instead of Jesus. Today, it takes only six minutes to produce a marshmallow peep. In Britain, the Easter Act of 1928 was an attempt to establish a set annual date for Easter. In England, when you dance between Easter eggs on a floor, it's called hop-egging, H-O-P hyphen E-G-G-I-N-G. The Kinder Surprise egg-shaped candy was illegal in the United States. In Eastern Christianity, the end of Lent is called Lazarus Saturday. Easter takes place in autumn in Australia. Jesus and his apostles ate bread and wine at the Last Supper.
Mardi Gras is celebrated on the last day before Lent begins. The largest Easter egg hunt ever in the United States was held in Florida. The name of the jeweler who decorated Easter eggs for royalty was Peter Carl Fabergé. And now from Good Housekeeping come the following. Easter baskets have a special symbolism. The woven containers represent nests and new life, especially when filled to the brim with eggs. Plus, they're a pretty utilitarian way to collect goodies on your Easter egg hunt. There's a reason you probably eat ham for Easter dinner. Historically, most early Easter celebrants would have eaten lamb for this special occasion as the holiday has its roots in Jewish Passover. Most American Easter dinners now feature ham, however, because of the timing of the holiday. Years ago, hams cured over the winter months would have been ready to serve in the early spring. Easter lilies are a relatively new tradition. These beautiful blooms first originated in Japan and later arrived in England in the late 18th century. The U.S. only caught on to the trend after World War I. The transition from dormant bulbs to delicate flowers brings to mind hope and rebirth, two important themes of the day. Easter eggs had a medieval twist. Think Easter egg hunts are odd? Listen to this medieval game that children played. The priest would give one of the choir boys a hard-boiled egg, and the boys would pass it amongst themselves until the clock struck midnight, when whoever was holding it then got to eat it. Sounds fun? There's evidence showing that Easter eggs originated in medieval Europe, and Christians may not have actually been the ones to start the tradition of giving eggs, a symbol of fertility and rebirth. Scholars believe that Easter was named after the festival celebrating Ostra and the coming of spring. Her sacred symbols are thought to have been the hare, H-A-R-E, and the egg. Eggs are dyed to represent the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, at least that might be one of the reasons, which stems from early Christians in Mesopotamia. There isn't a concrete reason behind the tradition, but there are several theories. Good Friday is recognized as a holiday in only 12 states. Occurring two days before Easter Sunday, Good Friday commemorates Jesus' crucifixion, but it isn't a federal holiday. Residents in certain states experience closures, including New Jersey, North Carolina, and Tennessee. In 2020, 77% of American adults celebrated Easter. About half of those chose to mark the occasion with a holiday meal, 
and a third decided to visit family and friends virtually, according to the National Retail Federation. We can thank Germany for the bunny. The idea of the Easter Bunny giving candies and eggs is said to have originated in Germany during the Middle Ages, with the first written mention of this tradition dating back to the 16th century. Dutch settlers in Pennsylvania brought the bunny to the United States in the 1700s. Easter and Halloween often compete for the highest candy sales every year. The two holidays are always going head-to-head -to, -head to have the most candy sales, usually coming close to each other. In fact, some years people buy more candy the week before Easter than the week before Halloween, but that's because Halloween purchases are more spread out over the month leading up to the spooky night. Americans eat about 1.5 million peeps during Easter. That makes these colorful marshmallows the most popular non-chocolate Easter candy. The Bethlehem, Pennsylvania factory makes an impressive 5.5 million a day. In 1953, it took 27 hours to make one peep. That's back when they were still new to the world and were handmade with a pastry tube. But don't worry, it was sped up to six minutes thanks to a unique machine called the depositor. More than 1.5 million Cadbury cream eggs are made every day. Even more impressive is that the Bourneville factory in Birmingham, England, makes 500 million every year. If you piled those eggs on top of each other, they'd be taller than Mount Everest. Americans consume more than 16 million jelly beans during Easter. That's enough jelly beans to circle the globe not once, not twice, but three times, or to fill a plastic egg the size of a nine-story building. First introduced as an Easter treat in the 1930s, we can't imagine this day without them. Around 90 million chocolate bunnies are sold for Easter. Considering $2.6 billion is spent on candy alone during this religious celebration, it makes sense. Oh, and that's not only in the United States. A surprising 59% of people eat the ears off the bunny first. Only a handful start with the feet or the tail, and the rest apparently don't have a plan of action. Page 3. From the website everydayhealth.com comes the following article. The best nuts for diabetes, walnuts, almonds, and more. Nuts can be a good snack for people with type 2 diabetes because they may help prevent heart disease, keep blood sugar controlled, and even aid weight loss. By Moira 
M-O-I-R-A Lawler, L-A-W-L-E-R. Medically reviewed by Lynn Grieger, RDN, CDCES. Last updated February 3, 2021. When munching on nuts, practice portion control because consuming too much healthy fat can still lead to weight gain. When you're looking for a satisfying diabetes-friendly snack, it's hard to beat nuts. Nuts are a super snack food for people with diabetes because they're the total package, low in carbs and high in protein, fiber, and healthy fat. And they create a feeling of fullness, says Cheryl Musato, RD, founder of Eat Well to Be Well in Osage City, Kansas. The healthy fat in nuts protects your ticker, says Melissa Joy Dobbins, RDN, CDCES, founder of Sound Bites, B-I-T-E-S. It's important because people with type 2 diabetes are two to four times more likely to die of heart disease than those without it, according to the American Heart Association. Heart-healthy monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats found in nuts can lower your LDL, or bad cholesterol, Masato says. Quote, at the same time, nuts also raise level of good, or HDL, cholesterol, she says. This cholesterol acts sort of like a sanitation worker, removing cholesterol from the tissues for disposal, which prevents plaque buildup in the arteries. What's more, nuts help regulate blood sugar, which makes them a better option to reach for than, say, pretzels, when afternoon hunger strikes, Musato says. Many kinds of nuts have this effect. Almonds have been shown to slow down the blood sugar response when eaten with carbohydrate-rich foods, according to a small past study that focused on healthy people without the disease. Another past study found similar results for pistachios when eaten by healthy volunteers. And a systematic review published in December of 2017 in the journal Nutrients examining the health benefits of various kinds of nuts concluded that adding nuts improved diet quality thanks to the protein, fiber, vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants they contain. Though these results may seem like enough to secure superfood status for nuts, there's one other thing to be aware of. Nuts are high in calories. While they are not typically associated with weight gain, as the 2017 study in Nutrients suggests, experts suggest measuring out one-ounce portion sizes instead of digging into an open bag. If you overeat them, there is still a risk of weight gain. Keep in mind that how nuts are prepared can influence how healthy they are. Avoid nuts that are coated in salt. Dobbins notes that sodium is bad for your blood pressure and sugar. More bad news if you love the sweet and savory combo, chocolate-covered peanuts and honey-roasted cashews, are high in carbs and not the best choice 
when you have diabetes, Dobbins says. Instead, try dry roasted or raw nuts, which are flavorful but still healthy. As for which nut to choose, here are four of the best for people with diabetes, roughly ranked in order of healthiness. 1. Walnuts. Serving size about 14 shelled halves. According to a small randomized controlled study published in July of 2017 in the journal Diabetes, Obesity, and Metabolism, walnuts may help to promote feelings of fullness, preventing unhealthy food cravings, and potentially aiding weight loss. Another past study of women drew a link between eating walnuts and a lower risk of type 2 diabetes. Quote, the fiber, the protein, and the good fats help manage hunger and blood sugars, Dobbins says. Walnuts are also a rich source of alpha-lipoic acid, ALA, and may help reduce inflammation, Musato says, making walnuts her absolute favorite nut to recommend. Inflammation is tied to diabetes, as well as other conditions, like Alzheimer's disease and heart disease. 2. Almonds. Serving size, about 23 nuts. Almonds help control glucose levels and reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease for people with type 2 diabetes, according to a small past study. Dobbins notes that they are also a good source of fiber. Quote, fiber helps keep you full, keeps your blood sugars more stable, and is good for your digestion, she says. One more reason almonds are superstars for people with diabetes. A one ounce, about three tablespoon serving, offers 80 milligrams of magnesium, making it a good source, as the National Institutes of Health, NIH, notes. That's helpful, Masato says, because many with diabetes are deficient in this mineral. Upping your magnesium intake can help promote healthy bones, normal blood pressure, blood glucose control, and good muscle and nerve function, according to the NIH. 3. Pistachios. Serving size, about 45 nuts. Pistachios trio of fiber, protein, and good fats help keep you fuller longer, make them a smarter bet than carbohydrate-heavy snacks, Dobbins says. One past small randomized control crossover study found improved blood sugar in people with diabetes who eat pistachios as a snack, while the Cleveland Clinic notes that pistachios' monounsaturated fat content helps lower LDL cholesterol. Enjoy them as a standalone snack or build them into your meals. Dobbins suggests subbing them in for croutons on a salad or using crushed pistachios instead of breadcrumbs on a baked chicken dish or on fish. 4. Peanuts. Serving size, about 28 peanuts. Peanuts are an extremely satiating, diabetes-friendly snack thanks to their high fiber and protein content. Not only do they have a low glycemic load, a measure of how quickly a food tends to raise blood sugar, but they may help regulate blood sugar, according to 
one small pilot study published in the May-June 2019 issue of the Journal of the American College of Nutrition. The study found that adding two tablespoons of peanut butter to a meal helped to prevent post-meal blood sugar spikes, though it's worth noting that this study involved only 16 participants and did not use a control group. Peanuts may also be a boon to heart health, as one November 2017 investigation published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiovascular Disease found that nut consumption, including peanuts, was linked with a lower risk of developing heart disease. The British Diabetes Association at diabetes.co.uk points out that peanut consumption can effectively reduce LDL cholesterol. Try adding a spoonful of low-sodium peanut butter to your morning oatmeal or smoothie or toss a handful of peanuts into your next salad or stir-fry. Page 4. This next article is from the Kentucky Talking Book Library newsletter, published March 2021. Happy Birthday, NLS! This year marks the 90th anniversary of the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, of which the Kentucky Talking Book Library is a part. All year long, NLS will highlight its history and the array of services provided to patrons. Programming will include online events, recognitions, and digital content, which will be shared throughout various channels, including social media and the NLS website. Prior to 1931, there were few resources for reading material for people who were blind. Representative Ruth Pratt, New York, and Senator Reed Smoot of Utah introduced identical bills to Congress, and the Pratt-Smoot Act became law on March 3, 1931. It appropriated $100,000 to the Library of Congress to provide Braille books for blind adults. The first order was for Woodrow Wilson's book, George Washington, to meet a demand created by the bicentennial of Washington's birth. Talking books on 33 and one-third RPM records were developed in 1934. The service was expanded to include children in 1962 and again in 1966 to include those with physical disabilities. The 90th anniversary celebration kicked off on March 3 with a very special virtual concert featuring jazz pianist Matthew Whitaker, marking the day that founding legislation was signed by President Hoover. The concert can be viewed on the Library of Congress's YouTube channel. Whitaker, who has been blind since birth, is an NLS patron who has used the music section's accessible scores and reading materials, the largest collection of its kind in the world, on his rise to fame. Although he is only 19, Whitaker has been featured on stages around the world, including Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, and the Lincoln Center. His original compositions have garnered him accolades across the jazz world, including the ASCAP Foundation Herb Alpert Young Jazz Composer Awards for 2019 and 2020. For more on the history of NLS, check out Talking Books, Pioneering and Beyond 
by Marilyn Lundell Majeska, M-A-J-E-S-K-A, 1988, DB 27607 or BR 07378, or The Untold Story of the Talking Book by Matthew Rubery, R-U-B-E-R-Y, 2016, DB 87099 or BR 21875. You may also visit the NLS website at https colon slash slash www.loc.gov slash nls slash about slash organization slash history. And here is another article from the newsletter. Everything old is new again. As mentioned earlier, Talking Books started on heavy vinyl 33 and a third RPM records. A typical book contained 20 record discs, and users remember the postman delivering them in a huge sack like Santa Claus. Over the years, the records were recorded at slower speeds, creating smaller, longer-playing discs until NLS began using inexpensive flexible discs in the 70s. Next came the four-track cassette tapes many of you remember well. The current digital talking books and the Bard Download website were introduced in late 2008 and 2009 and Bard Mobile in 2013. Now you can practically carry a whole library in your pocket. But what about all those old books? NLS has converted most of the recorded cassette RC collection to digital format. KTBL is doing the same with the Kentucky books we have recorded since 1977. Michael starts the process by baking the original reel tapes in a toaster oven to remove humidity and stabilize the emulsion. Next, he runs the tapes through a duplicator slash computer to transfer the sound into digital files. He then spends days editing the sound and removing the old tape side announcements. Brian takes over from there by creating metadata digital information that accompanies the files, inserting all the navigation points, and converting the files to the official talking book format that meets NLS guidelines. Finally, we submit the converted book to BARD, where it can be downloaded by talking book libraries and users around the country. So far, approximately 308 books have been completed with 1,000 yet to go. Secret Louisville, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure by Kevin Gibson, Kentucky Talking Book Library, DBC 08432, Copyright 2017, Reedy Press, LLC, read by Linda Sherrard. This book contains 199 pages. Approximate reading time, 3 hours and 38 minutes. Kentucky Talking Book Library Annotation Even if you are a lifelong resident, you are sure to learn something new about Louisville from this book. The author shares fun facts in 89 short entries from the historic to the eccentric. Includes local characters, hidden places, forgotten facts, 
Everything from trolls and ghosts to albino squirrels and disco balls. 2017. From the Book Jacket Where would you find the remains of a sainted Roman centurion on public display? That would be Louisville, or a hidden set of steps that connects two key parts of an historic neighborhood, also Louisville, or even a gorgeous, nearly century-old prayer grotto hidden in plain sight. That would be Louisville as well. From a haunted cave to a serene river island escape, Louisville has its share of secrets and oddities. Secret Louisville, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure, is a book that answers questions you didn't even realize you had about the city that stands proudly along the Ohio River. A tree cursed by witches? It's here. A tattoo history museum? That's Louisville, too. You get the picture. Think of this book as a scavenger hunt of sorts for Kentucky's largest city, covering the strange, the surprising, and sometimes the silly locales, history, and facts. From the legendary birthplace of the cheeseburger, or so the story goes, to the home of the happy birthday song, Secret Louisville will serve as the hometown tour guide you didn't even know you needed. 1. The Chickens Came Home to Roost what is this hidden and mysterious set of stairs? Marked only by an easily missed sign along Lower Bransboro Road, the chicken steps offer a means for travelers on foot to either ascend to Vernon Avenue, connecting them with busy Frankfurt Avenue, or to descend in the opposite direction. The spot on Vernon where the steps begin their descent is the one-time location of Fort Elsner, one of 11 Union forts constructed to defend Louisville during the Civil War. In fact, an artillery gun was mounted on the spot that is now 188 Vernon Avenue. The thing is, no one is 100% sure why they're called the chicken steps. That's just what they've always been called. Some believe the steps, which number 35, including the midway landing, may have gotten their name because chickens used to roost on an earlier wooden version. The current concrete ones were constructed by the city in the 1970s. A 2003 report from Louisville Metro Planning and Design Services notes the name Chicken Steps likely came about from the days when area residents raised chickens, some of which chose this hilltop site upon which to roost. Hey, regardless of where the name originates, it beats climbing down that hill. Coming down the hill, the pathway leads you right past CVS. Might as well grab some allergy medicine while you're there. Chicken Steps. What? A hidden set of stairs. Where? Tucked in a wooded area between Vernon Avenue and Lower Brownsboro Road. Cost? Free. Pro tip. The chicken steps offer safe passage to Lower Brownsboro for the visually impaired who live in the neighborhood near the printing house for the blind. Two. Now that's a big clock. What is that gigantic illuminated clock overlooking the river? With a diameter of 40 feet, the Colgate clock was first illuminated in Clarksville, Indiana on November 17, 1924. The clock face is actually larger than those on the legendary Big Ben, which is located at the Palace of Westminster in London, and is to this day one of the largest clocks in the world. 
It was installed shortly after Colgate-Palmolive converted a pre-Civil War correctional facility, which still housed prisoners who even helped with the conversion while incarcerated, into a soap-making plant. An enduring vision in downtown Louisville for as long as locals can remember, the bright red clock, when lit, usually shows the correct time, or at least close, nearly 100 years later, despite the fact that Colgate-Palmolive moved its operations out of town in 2008. The clock's continuing operation is likely because the facility was placed on the Indiana Landmarks list of 10 most endangered landmarks, although the clock's life is not necessarily guaranteed. Interestingly, the Colgate clock originally was designed and built in 1906 and was located in Jersey City, New Jersey at Colgate's original factory before being moved to the newly opened factory in Indiana in 24. Of course, the joke among locals is that the clock is located in one state but can only be read in another. Leave it to Indiana to put up a clock you have to drive to Kentucky to read, my uncle once joked. Ah, well, at least the view is nice. If you're in Clarksville without your watch or phone and need to see what time it is, you'll potentially have to drive across the Clark Bridge to use the Colgate clock for time-telling. Colgate clock. What? Gigantic illuminated clock. Where? Clarksville, Indiana. Cost? General admission is $12. Pro tip? One of the largest clocks on the planet, you can still enjoy it illuminated in red most nights. 13. Louisville Disco Ball City Where do all the disco balls come from, anyway? Located in a nondescript building in the Irish Hill neighborhood, Omega National Products doesn't seem like it would be anything more notable than just another Louisville business. But Omega National Products has a secret. It's the place where many, if not most, of the world's disco balls are produced. That's right, Louisville is Disco City. You even have to dig into the company's website a bit to find their selection of mirror balls. Very clever, Omega National. When you finally find the list, you can see that disco balls up to 48 inches in diameter and weighing 105 pounds are available. You may prefer a 20-pounder or perhaps the Wii MG12 model, which is a foot in diameter and a mere 5 pounds. Otherwise, check out Omega's selection of antique-style mirrors, which is impressive in its own right. Then it's time to put on your platform shoes and do your thing. A group called World's Largest Disco Ball, y'all, hopes to create the largest disco ball in the world and gift it to Louisville, honoring the city's status as a disco ball capital of the world. Omega National Products. What? A disco ball factory? Where? 900 Baxter Avenue. Cost? Depends on the size of the ball you want. Pro tip? Sorry, they don't have a dance floor at Omega National Products. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.